She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Body Serve. Uh, This is episode 43, and I'm James. And I'm Jonathan. And we've been gone for a minute, but we are back with a sort of French Open preview, but more of a wrap-up of the probably the second half of the clay season. It's really not even close to a French Open preview, because we're going to actually do one sometime this week. Hopefully with the draw in front of us. And it kind of works out with our schedule in that you have Friday off. I do, yeah. And you have Saturday off. So I I also do. So we'll be able to record Friday night. The draw comes out Friday and you can edit away. Oh, great. <laughs> It'll be the first episode in a while that you get to edit. Oh. Cuz I've been carrying that burden. You see how you did that like on the recording so I would be forced into it, <laughs> like backed into it. I I strategically taught you how to edit the podcast so that we would share that responsibility right. but you know with school and all that busy stuff that you've been doing this this year. I'm looking forward to just waking up and having the episode appear. <laughs> Since the last time we came to Madrid happened and Rome just finished today. And so, so much has happened. So much happened as far as tennis results. So much happened as far as stuff off the court. So much, So many side-eye moments. <laughs> It really could take up the entire episode, but we're trying to be We could probably do positive. three episodes worth of stuff just from the material yeah. the last two weeks alone. A lot of the storylines have changed quite a bit just in the last, what, two weeks? Well, Miss Serena Williams is right back smack dab in the middle of everything. Oh, remember her? <laughs> She's back. Her? Um, I seem to remember... I, that Victoria Azarenka was the best player in the world for about two or three days. But guess what? Guess who's back? It's crazy to me and that she's only Backstreet played Boys. four... T- <laughs> that was so bad. I'm Very so bad. sorry. You, we we now have serious radio in the car, and I think you've been listening to the 90s and 2000s station a bit too much. Yeah, they're so bad, though. I wish there were a 90s R&B station. Mm. Only R&B. Okay, anyway... It's really hard to get a gauge of where Serena is because of how little she's played. Yeah, it's been quite a while, and I know I've been complaining about her non-tennis Snapchats, but apparently she managed to fit in some practice there because she seems to be in pretty good shape. She's moving well. Her quarterfinal beatdown of Kuznetsova was jaw-dropping. 6-2-6 love. I mean, it was clinical... It was precise. There was lots of power. That's the that's the Serena that makes you believe that nobody, even on their best day, can come close to beating her on hers. Yep. This is a former French Open champion. Somebody who's been Kuznetsova, playing well all year. And who is an incredible athlete on clay, especially. And who, who has played Serena tough in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't have like a murderer's row. In her draw this this week, she beat Friedsam in the first round, Mikhail Kuznetsova, 
Begu was a surprise semifinalist, and then Madison, a shocking finalist. So, you know, a good group of players, but not, you know, the top. Still, though, their tennis that she showed was the more important part, as opposed to who she played. Right. Because Madison does pose a challenge uh, when she's playing this well on any surface. You know, it was a big surprise to see Madison run the table in Rome, especially. You know, she beat Petkovic, Kvitova, Babos, uh, Stritseva, and Muguruza before playing Serena in right? the final. I mean, what a week. That's two top 10 players. Well, Petra's not top 10 anymore, no. is she? By the time you listen to this, Petra will be number 12 in the oh, world. Oh, dear. Which I'm not quite sure what's going on with her. It seems that she's still struggling with injury. But it is really jarring to see her knocking on the teens yeah, in the rankings. She really doesn't belong there. No, not at all. I mean, let's get Panetta's ass out of the rankings. <laughs> I love you, but you have to go. We bid farewell to her this week, so please, let's bid her adieu <laughs> and kick her to the top ten right? as well. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of tennis fans didn't really know what to expect from Serena this week. And I'm always an optimist when it comes to Serena. I kind of expect her to come back from long layoffs and play well. And the fact that she only played one clay warm-up to the French Open, I really, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been bothered if she didn't win this tournament, but I expected her to do well enough and just get some match practice. It never surprises me when she comes out of nowhere and wins. It's just like we've seen this story many times before. And she's obviously preparing somewhere, right? She's obviously practicing. And she also seems to really enjoy playing on clay now for many years. Yeah. It seemed that her results, her good results that she got on clay came because she was Serena Williams and she was that great. Right. As opposed to her adapting and learning how to play in a way that benefited her game on the surface. Mm -hmm. She seems to really enjoy the dirt now. Right. And watching her play Madison, Madison was forcing her to grind a little bit and seeing her move side to side and slide, you know, which she didn't develop early in her career, that clay slide, right? Serena is 35 years old, well, 34, and she's out there grinding, literally, on clay. Grinding, twerking. (laughs) (laughs) I can't hear you say grinding and not have the Beyonce video just etched across my, (laughs) my mind's eye, you know? Yeah. But she's willing to do the work out there. The first set against Madison was really competitive. And every when Madison is playing like this, every time she gets a short ball, the potential is there for her just to end the point. It makes people nervous, and it makes players try to overcompensate and end the point early against a player like that. And Novak is, a, is really similar. If Andy Murray gives him a short ball, like during most of their matches, the or point's over. Right. Rafa as well. And this is why Rafa's had so much trouble, is that when his balls are landing high, like practically at the service line, the point's done. You can't really get back from that. Or you totally lose the leverage in the rally. But, you know, Serena can hold on against Madison when she's hitting that hard and then assert herself. Because Serena plays great defense as well. Mm-hmm. And that's probably where Madison will have to improve most if she's going to take that next step. As Serena yes. said to her at net that she expects her to be number one. Yeah, let's let's unpack that a little. What's there to unpack? <laughs> like, we know Madison's talent. It's prodigious. Right. But there is a lot of improvement that needs to be made in spite of this result as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of mental improvement 
that can be made with Madison. And physical as well. Yeah. Because she's had a lot of physical struggles that probably hinder her her mental development as well. Mm -hmm. Because with all these top players who manage to rely on everything that they have to win matches, part of that comes from knowing that your body is going to respond come what may. Mm -hmm. That you can slug out 30-point rallies and know your body's going to recover and not have to worry about ending points early, which I'm not quite sure Madison's there just yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, she's really more of a Lindsay Davenport than a Serena Williams, right? It just her movement is not as strong. Not like Sloane Stevens, say. But the power is just overwhelming, and the way she hits the ball is gorgeous to watch. She hits the ball more powerfully than anybody I've ever seen on the WTA. Yeah, anyone I can think of, right? So you can see that in time, and when she's playing well, she can really put the best back on their heels. And we've seen it against Venus and Serena, you know, who were once the standard bearers of power. At the Australian Open last year in 2015, Mm -hmm. she really pegged Venus back beyond the baseline. So I'm almost scared to see what she can do on grass. Well, we know it's, well, it was initially her best surface. Right. For the longest time, she was only winning matches on the WTA Tour, really, on grass, right? Mm -hmm. But to see her reach a final at a Masters event, well, sorry, a premier mandatory event on clay, in, you know, this grand tradition of the Italian Open, it is only a plus. And to see her acquit herself so well against Serena, and seem to have a good time. It's really impressive. Yeah. Can we talk about Serena's backhand? Just a thing of beauty. I was just so awed, I think because it's been so long since I've seen her play. Just this hitting it inside out so many times is just amazing. Especially on the return, I saw it a lot of times on the return. Mm -hmm. Which, it's such an underused shot, if you can use it. Because I imagine it's very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Who's expecting a backhand to be rifled back at you inside out on the return? And so Serena has her fourth title in Rome, and... The other milestone is it's title number 70 in her career. Not many people have done that. And all of a sudden, I'm guilty of this, Serena's stranglehold on number one doesn't look as tenuous anymore. <laughs> well, What a difference a month I makes. I should say that Brad Gilbert still thinks that Azarenka will take number one this summer. What was the percentage I'm, that he just gave? Well, he didn't give a percentage, so I imagine it's like 100 or close. point. <laughs> Seven three, perhaps. <laughs> I can't wait till he goes to like the hundredths place. Oh my god! <laughs> so the other title winner in Rome in singles was a perhaps a bigger surprise than Serena Williams, Mister Andrew Baron Murray. Is that his middle name? Yeah, Baron. It's very Great Britain, isn't it? <laughs> With an assist from Kenny Shikori and Rafa Nadal, <laughs> right. because those two gentlemen wore Nole down. Mm-hmm. You know, emotionally and mentally. Yeah, you know, I had no plans to watch uh, Novak's matches this weekend, but I was, you know, sitting on the couch doing nothing yesterday, avoiding homework, and I see that Kay is up, I don't know, like 4-1 in the first set. I'm like, hello, I am there. (laughs) And I ended up watching the entire thing. And God, he just put on an incredible performance and came so close. Just... The way we were talking about Serena playing defense, the way that Nishikori can turn his defense into offense, it's I don't think I've watched him enough because I'm watching him, expecting him just to grind and stay in points 
And then these powerful shots just come out of nowhere. Mm. You know, and he seems to take a lot of risks on the return and it pays off. We knew he had a lot of game, but we've kind of forgotten. Right. A couple of years ago when he was on the verge of beating Rafa, I think it was Barcelona in the final. Yes. And he had to retire. Oh, no, in, in Madrid. It was Madrid. Yeah. And he eventually had to retire. Clay was Clay K was going through a really good stretch, which eventually mm-hmm. turned into him making the final in the US Open later that year. Right. And he's kind of regressed or been stagnant. A lot of it due to injury over the last year or whatnot, but he's really stepped his game up mm-hmm. a notch or two in the last few weeks. He's been one of the most consistent performers throughout the entire European clay court season. Definitely. And watching that match, I really believed that he could beat Novak. It also came a day after Novak had to beat Rafa, a yet improved Rafa. <laughs> right. I know we keep saying this, but this was actually a match that it looked like he could win. And at times it looked like he was going to win. <laughs> the, it was a two set match that was well over two hours. Novak won 7-5-7-6, I believe the score was. Yeah. And Rafa held leads in both sets, was up 4-2 in both sets. In the second set, Rafa had five set points and couldn't get the job done. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time in a long time watching these two play that I saw Rafa play without a sense of desperation in his shots against Novak, feeling that he needed to press and dominate and dictate the points. And previously, when he wasn't able to stay afloat in points with the forehand being erratic or whatnot, things went awry really quickly. Not this time. He seemed to be much more assured, much more able to rely on his shots and have it be the kind of battle that we've seen in years past where it's attritional. Right. It's tactical, it's attritional, and he can just let loose and play his game. He still wasn't the Rafa that we've seen at his best, but even in spite of the loss, it was yet another step in the right direction for him. I would say he greatly resembled the Rafa that we know. (laughs) know, The backhand was had a lot more power behind it Mm -hmm. than normal. And, you know, he was actually hitting winners off the backhand side. The backhand and the serve have been the two most improved parts of his game for me. Mm -hmm. The backhand is so reliable. They needed to be. Yeah, so reliable right now. He's able to be aggressive off the backhand Mm -hmm. and change the, the course of points with the backhand. And routinely... In Rome and in Madrid, he was serving, his first serve percentage was in the 80s. And it wasn't just tossing balls in. You know, like he was Mm -hmm. able to get himself, I think we talked about this on the last podcast in Monte Carlo, where he was able to get himself out of trouble, difficult situations with the serve, which is something we hadn't seen in such Mm -hmm. a long time. Yeah, he still needs to get better in converting the first serve, you know, because the percentage was high, but... It, un- it actually looked like he was serving better than he was. You know what I In mean? In terms of actually winning actually, the first like serve points? Actually, first serve conversion, right? It, it wasn't as good as it needs to be. When you're playing people like Novak, it's well, not. Right. He won 59% of his first serves against Novak. Okay. And 69 of his second serves, which was a crazy stat. Well, that's a much better stat. Yeah, but yeah. taken together, that's a damn good serving day mm-hmm. against Novak, who is touted as the best returner possibly of all time. Right. Uh, but the, it was, point, it, the point is he's not being broken like he was before. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that the backhand is working because he makes 
tactical mistakes when he needs to run around and hit a forehand. Mm-hmm. You know, he leaves an entire court open when he does that sometimes. So he doesn't have to rely only on the forehand. What other positives do you see for Rafa? Um, as usual, I think he'll gain a lot of confidence from this. I, th- You know, I think he'll realize that he was close in both sets. I hope he doesn't agonize over those five set points like I did. <laughs> I left watching that match feeling so unbothered by the result, mm-hmm. which hasn't been the case with his previous losses to right. Novak. I was like, okay, I see you. You're coming. You're on the come up. Well, I had no expectations. You know, I I did. I'm like, Rafa's not going to beat him. So I'm just going to watch and enjoy. Yeah. See, I hadn't felt like Rafa could beat Novak until that match. Okay. Even before that match, from watching the progression this clay court season. Like, well, you know, I still don't expect him to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Mm-hmm. And that close of a loss and that quality of a match, I was totally happy with that. And so Novak gets to the final after having played almost six hours of tennis in the two preceding days. Mm. Top-rate, high-quality matches against against Rafa in the quarterfinals and then Kane in the semis. And then he's expected to beat Murray, who's had a cakewalk of a draw right. on the other side of the, of the tournament. Because the top half was just the most ridiculous thing you'll ever see on the ATP Tour. Yeah. It was a totally different tournament, is what Novak said, on the top half. And watching that unfold in a Grand Slam where you have days off in between matches is totally different. Granted, they're playing best of five then. Mm. But you're playing these matches, these long, long matches on back-to-back days. At a tournament where the weather is having an effect on the on the play. Right. Days are going longer than they normally would. You're having to take breaks in between, in within the course of the match, because it's raining. And then Novak played at night on Saturday in Rome and had to come back yeah, during the day on that Sunday. That scheduling is crazy. And I'm not sticking up for Novak because he's totally on the shit list right now. But the scheduling of the men's semifinal, the second one, is crazy. It's just not really fair. And this is also after he got bageled in the first set by Bellucci mm-hmm. earlier in the week. So he had a long week of tennis. I honestly felt that if Andy were to win a match against Novak, this had to be it. If he couldn't win this one, oh my then God. why? Why even bother? <laughs> because, I mean, he Novak has been a basket case all week. His mind is all over the place right now. He wasn't really playing very well today. So you really, you have to win this match. By, pl- by not playing well, you're saying he wasn't playing to the superhuman standards that you're used to. Right. I still don't think he played badly. Okay, but he didn't play like himself. Yeah, but Andy played really well to boot, you know? Yes. One can only assume that that had to do with all the hours on court he'd spent in the previous days. But who knows? He seemed erratic mentally, emotionally, and within his own game the entire week. Mm, Yeah. So, bottom line is kudos to Andy Murray, who got the job done. Since the start of 2015, he's made 10 finals on the ATP Tour, many of them really big finals two australian opens last week in madrid winning this week in rome he won the rogers cup last year munich i think was another one Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's munich was his uh first final on clay ever which was a year ago and now he's won two masters titles on clay and three clay tournaments overall right it's it's no accident 
people like to say, well, Murray is only number two because Rafa was in decline and Federer, you know, has been has had some time off with injury. But Murray's been playing well, winning tournaments and making deep runs into pretty much every event he plays. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Somebody asked Brad Gilbert. I, I can't stop talking about ask Brad Gilbert. <laughs> Miss Cleo. <laughs> if Andy would become number one now because he won Rome. What? There's so many resources. Like, don't embarrass yourself. Just look it up on the internet. Did Brad even respond to that? Yes, he did. With no. (laughs) Not even a percentage. He should have just just said zero percent. God, you know you're dumb if you don't even get a percentage from Brad. (laughs) But speaking of Andy, uh, Moresmo is no more. Andy and Emily broke up, and I have to say, I'm pretty sad about it. I mean, yes, I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear them talk about why, it made sense. And Well, why? Because Andy said that she wasn't able to spend as much time as she needed with him okay. on tour. Well, fair and enough. And there's no real <laughs> arguing with that. <laughs> right. You need your coach to be around, and she. he said they went this long stretch where... A time when he was really struggling and he wasn't able to go through that with her, which he felt was very important. Mm. That, you know, yeah, you have the good times, but with the struggling, you have to experience that as well and work through it together. Yeah, he did say he would love to work with Yvonne Lendl again, but he said that's not going to happen. No, I think he said he'd be open to it. Oh. I don't know if he said he'd love (laughs) to. (laughs) The feeling I got is like, good coach, kind of an asshole. Right? I mean, wasn't that the rap on him as a tennis player? Good player? (laughs) Kind of an asshole? Great player. Yeah. And an asshole. (laughs) Now, speaking of assholes... I mean, all the great players in the the 80s were assholes. Oh, my God. Becker, McEnroe, Connors. Except for Edberg, right? Yeah. He was a notorious nice guy. (laughs) A notorious... A notorious nice guy. I feel like notorious connotes something different. I mean, I guess to a fault, maybe? I don't know, but... (laughs) Now, the reason I said speaking of assholes is that uh, Novak's behavior all week was pretty appalling. And even the Novak fans, not like the Nole fam, I don't know what they're saying because I blocked all of them. (laughs) Uh, But the Novak fans are admitting, okay, like you need to calm down. Like you're just doing too much. This is going to be the rant. Yeah. For this episode. And it's going to spill into several other topics. It's going to be one long extended rant, and it's going to be delivered in the spirit of Miss Sky Jackson, (laughs) who gathered Miss Azalea Banks and dragged her ass all over Twitter. And off Twitter. I mean, this girl should be teaching courses on how to read people, and she's only 14 years old. (laughs) (laughs) She embarrassed Azalea. I mean, it's not like she didn't embarrass herself enough. By calling Zayn Malik all these horrible names, including her personal favorite, faggot. But that was like one of many horrific words she used to describe him. I mean, words that when I read them, I was like, like my face just right, kept getting right. more and more stretched. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just kept reacting with more incredulity. You yeah. know, it was crazy. And so it's just, it's so embarrassing because Sky Jackson just like, pops in to read this woman 
And Azalea has no wit. She has no chill, no, no filter. No. And so she just goes in as hard as possible with like the most degrading, horrible things. You know, talking about, oh, your mother's blowing all the Disney execs and that's no, the only reason you have a career. We really don't need to get oh. into all of that. <laughs> we really don't. If you're okay, so but... inclined, look it up. But we're going to do our own version of Miss Sky Jackson here. Well, not quite. But we're going to keep it classy. The only Novak I saw this week was against Rafa. I saw that match. I didn't see the semifinal, which is where a lot of the drama happened. So I'm going to defer to you on that. And then I saw... What did I see today of the final? I saw the last set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you didn't see the the, the issue. Yeah, so during the Rafa match, uh, Carlos Bernardes, everyone's favorite chair umpire, Mm -hmm. comes to, runs down and checks a mark on Novak's side. And Bernardes starts to, like, touch the mark. And Novak actually smacks his hand out of the way. I've never seen anything like that. It wasn't just a tiny little tap. It was a pretty... No, because he was already incensed, right? Like, he's already feeling passionate. And he really smacked his hand out of the way. I've never seen a player actually physically touch an umpire and it was so incredible that it went by unremarked upon by the commentators i was listening to uh robbie robbie kernig and whoever his friend jason goodall or yeah his friend whoever his uh partner is uh but it it just went by and then i went to twitter and i'm like are people talking about this did i maybe i i didn't see it correctly but it was so outrageous to me and the fact that you wouldn't even get a warning for that, crazy. It, I mean, he obviously knows that he can do a lot of things on the tennis court I and not get in I trouble. Don't, I honestly don't think he's thinking of these things in the moment. Well, no, I think his, these are his the, nature is these bad. are this is, the, this is his privilege coming to the fore, right? He doesn't have to think about or doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't have to care mm. about what the ramifications are. Right. He's Novak. He's number one. He just doesn't care. Yeah, but like when he's winning, he can be like, oh, I love everyone. I'm going to eat the grass at Wimbledon. I just, <laughs> I love playing tennis. I'm so grateful. And when he's losing, he can behave like this. And, you know, I really feel like you have to look at someone at their worst, at their worst, like when they're going through something. Mm. And like, this is, this is how I feel. About but I don't, I don't understand what he's going through. Uh, Unless it's something off the court in his personal life. You're winning all these matches. You're still winning mostly when these mm. situations are happening. Maybe not against Rafa because he was down early in both sets. But typically they happen in by good positions for him in the match. Okay. Like I, I, I struggle right. to understand why this happens for Novak. Uh, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe he's just has a bad personality. I don't know her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in the next match, you know, I thought this bullshit was behind us, right? And it just (laughs) keeps going. So against Nishikori, um, he takes up. Nishikori hits a fault. Novak takes kind of a practice return and it hits the ball boy. It See, I watched that. It Mm. did not hit the ball boy. That was so blown out of proportion. Okay, well, it came close. In the direction. There was no reason to even hit it. It was called a fault. You hit it into the net. It was... Listen. Okay? No, I really It's think... not like he was going to seriously injure anyone. But the fact that he just 
went on like nothing happened. Okay, but had the ball boy caught it, it would have been like hilarious. People would have lauded the ball boy and it would have been a moment of levity. Okay, but there was no reason the ball should have even gone in that direction. I'm saying I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that was the intention. Like it was just because sometimes people just like bat it and Mm -hmm. it goes underground. Sometimes it goes in the air. Like I, I really think that it was overblown. Okay. As for the umpire giving the Mohammed, warning, yes, totally fine with that. That's his prerogative. And if he feels that the ball boy was in, you know, some kind of mm. danger or wrong done in that moment, more power to him. But watching it after the fact, you know, it gives me no pleasure to well, come at it I from this position. I don't feel like I know anything anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, Liani obviously saw it differently. Okay. He immediately gave a warning to Djokovic for unsportsmanlike conduct mm-hmm. or whatever the equivalent is. And so Novak was pissed off about it. And, you know, he's doing his all week. He's been doing this like swagger thing, this condescending bullshit that I hate so much in any athlete, male or female. And so then reluctantly, after a while, he goes over and gives the kid like this little patronizing pat on the head and a shake or whatever. And it was just awkward. It was gross. It was just like, move on, grow up. Because it wasn't genuine, mm-hmm. you know? I think bad. I think part of our difference in viewing these instances is that I'm seeing them as isolated things after the fact. You watching these matches, mm-hmm. you know, in real time and having and seeing these things unfold many times within the course of one match and then back to back matches. Right. You take it differently than I would. But it's also it's not only like the act itself, right? It's also when he got back to the service line to return. He says, he starts mouthing off to Kay. And he's like, Kay, what? You want another first serve? You want a point? Fine, take the point. You Here, have the point. It's like, are you serious right now? You did something wrong. Get over it. Move on. It was, And then you should have seen. I've never seen Mohamed Layani ever look at someone like that. <laughs> I mean, like, ice cold stare. It looked like he was going to come down and kill him. He really seemed very protective of the ball kids. Uh-huh. And I, I also don't understand what the broken racket string situation was. Oh, my. That made no sense. How do you not know that your <sighs> strings are broken? And then Mo is shouting at him from the chair. No, lay, no back, no back. No, your strings, they're broken. Mm. And he's like, oh, ah, ah. No, he asked for the ball back because he missed a ball and he thought the ball was broken. And he realized it wasn't. And so he was going to proceed to play the next point. And Mohammed was like, racket. It's your racket. And he wasn't getting it. And finally, he looked and was like, oh, like I, I broke a string. But then the commentators were like, what? Then they did their own research because they were like, yeah. is an umpire allowed to tell a player that he's broken a string? Like, that's not really your place. And they were speculating that, you know, the little umpire's club later on would probably be talking about this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not. It's you know, really there's not a, his You place. know, there's a lot that can be said about Leani. right right i feel like we project so much onto how the umpires should react in these unusual scenarios within the course of a match like where is that dictated in the the tennis umpire rule book well i don't know like even even if there's something said you know you shouldn't say that that exact situation is not depicted in the book well it might be the the commentators suspected that it could be considered coaching. 
Oh my god. But there is <laughs> there is a rule that it's illegal to start a point with a broken string. Oh. So that's not quite the same thing. See, this is where tennis needs to get out of its own way. Get get its head out of its own ass? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. What what I is mean, what is the detriment so. here? Hmm. I just I just don't get it. As you said though, it's the like we're we're talking about all these incidents that happened with Novak, but it's his behavior after mm-hmm. the incident that's more troublesome than the actual incident, right. really. And there's so, so much petulance. That's exactly what it is. It's like you've been around for so long. Every time you think that he's beyond it, be, you know, mm-hmm. it it comes back, and I just feel like it's because that's that's who he is, and it's. Maybe it's unfair because I don't know him. And I've said this about Sharapova too, but (laughs) every time you want to believe that Sharapova is the bigger person, she does something to remind you that she's petty. Why why is it so hard for him? I have such a hard time. I mean, look at his parents, right? (laughs) That's one of your favorite topics. It is, but it's a lot of people's favorite topics. A lot of people choose not to criticize Djokovic, but say, yeah, his parents are terrible. You know? (laughs) Okay, but then let's talk about the issue in the final. So this time, again, I wake up, it's another day, and Novak is still on that bullshit. Uh, he, this time, he bounced his racket, and it somehow flew into the stands and came close to hitting somebody. So it's like, you know what, just... You see, that I have no patience You for. are really just digging yourself a hole here. Now, that could easily have injured somebody. I know. And he got a warning, and I feel like a warning is really not enough in that situation. That's It's crazy. It's crazy. Would she have gotten a point penalty? Yes, at the very least. And so, again, he doesn't react with, oh, uh, you know, sorry, like, I really didn't mean to do that. I was just frustrated, whatever. Let's move on. No, it was this cocky swagger. And he tells the umpire, oh, you just showed the whole world that you're the boss here. Like, don't you feel like a big man, basically? He said that on court? Because yes. I know he said that in the press yes, pretty no, much as well. he said that on court. Because he went on to argue with the chair in the second set. Saying that they should not be on court. Oh, that I watched live. Right in front of the TV cameras. Uh, what did he say? It's too fucking dangerous out here. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, 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 sorry about the, uh, the it's like salty when, language. It's like there. when Stan a couple weeks ago. Oh my God. Did I say fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why you give me a warning? Did I say fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that was this week. It felt like an eternity ago, but I it think was that this was week? this week. Yeah. Oh my god! So, you but know, like you I have that incident with the racket in the crowd and the the warning, and then the talk about the court being too dangerous to play on, saying mm. that he might have sprained his ankle three separate times in the last three games because of how slippery the courts mm. were because of the rain, and the umpire was saying, "Well, in my judgment, we're taking care <laughs> of the courts in between games, in between changeovers." Yeah. And it's not raining right now. I think it's okay to play. And he's saying, well, you don't, you're not playing. How do you know? And in my mind, I'm like, well, you're kind of doing a break and a set right now. The conditions have been fairly similar throughout mm. the course of the match. Yeah. It seems like you're not focusing your energies where they should be. It's just <laughs> right. yet another diversion from actually playing and focusing on the tennis. I mean, this is what players do. This is what a lot of people do, not just him. When they're down, you're going to look for 
things to blame it on. Mm-hmm. And Andy Murray is like the poster child for yes. that, right? And so I actually, I understand complaining about the rain. But And I can't say that I wouldn't do the same in that situation. Right. And I can't say that the Djokovic isn't without merit in saying that it was dangerous. Mm. Because I don't know. And why shouldn't an umpire take that seriously from a player when they're telling them, you know, this is actually really dangerous? Yeah. But, I mean, in that case, you can call the tournament referee. Yeah. You know. I'm just saying I'm, I can't help but have my skeptical side win out in that situation. Well, yeah, of course. Now, like, what I'm getting from all of this is, at this point, if you're a Novak fan, you have to just accept that people don't like him. And there's a reason for it. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not because he's the third wheel or whatever. There's never going to be enough evidence for the Nole fam. There just isn't. No. So that's something you just have to let go of. Yeah. It's just like, who are you getting to profess that you don't understand why he's not beloved like Rafa and Roger are? This is why. This is why. Because neither of them would ever do stuff like that. Now, what can we extrapolate about Novak's week going forward? Like, I feel like you could look at it two ways that Novak faced all these challenges and it really just boils down to him really being that good and unbeatable in spite of losing mm. to Mari. That he probably should have lost like six love, six love based on everything that he went through. <laughs> or is it that he's actually vulnerable? That K is on the come up. He's a real threat, that Rafa is now a real threat. Murray is clearly now a real threat. Is it that his mental struggles, his emotional struggles show that he's concerned about Roland Garros? Probably a projection, a hopeful projection on our part. Right. But what? how do you deconstruct all of this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be colored by my feelings about Novak in general, you know? I think his head is all over the place, probably because of the French coming up. I I don't know what else would explain it, save for something going on in his personal life. It was just like really surprising behavior from him this week. Just because normally he seems to, well, lately he's been like controlling himself better. But also, and I've said this before, it's so easy to behave well. And if you want to believe that, hide your true nature when you're winning easily. (laughs) We've seen this with so many people in our regular lives. Mm. You know, it's easy to be the bigger person when there isn't much strife. Right. But the shocking part for me is that so much of it was self-inflicted. Yeah. I just don't, I don't understand it at all. I mean, the other players have to see this as an opening. Whether or not it is, they have to look at this week and say he's beatable and Roland Garros is not a foregone conclusion. Back in 2011, somebody reached out to me on Facebook and I saw this now because of Facebook memories Hmm. and asked me, wow, you know, Novak is on such a great run. Is it inevitable that he's finally going to win the French Open? Oh, right. (laughs) And this was five years ago. But you remember that year he was undefeated until the French. And this, this year has gone differently. I think For me, it was really surprising not to see him run the table at the big European events on the clay. That lost lost a Vesely threw a wrench in his plans. Yeah. And probably threw him off a little bit. And he probably didn't bargain for Rafa being able to give him such a stern test. Mm -hmm. And now there's 
a smiling, content Rafa in his post-match press conference, looking unbothered by that loss to Novak. Right. Lurking in his mind's eye as he yeah. heads toward the French Open. And then he has Kay, who came so close to beating him, who came back against him in a way that we're not used to seeing. Right. And then Murray, and- who follows up a routine loss in Madrid in the final to be able to turn the tables on him in Rome. So if you're looking to create those narratives against Novak, they're there. You can make those arguments. Mm. Let me tell you, this stretch really kind of saved the ATP season for me. (laughs) I mean... It was delicious. We don't know what's going to happen at the French. And if Novak wins the French, I'm basically going to write off the whole season. You might write uh, off your entire tennis life. <laughs> you may not be able to recover from listen, it. Listen, listen. If, heaven forbid, he wins a calendar year Grand Slam, I don't know that I can watch men's tennis anymore. And all of this is happening with Roger Federer MIA right. from the ATP Tour. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I mean, tennis, men's tennis is has a huge hole in it without Roger there. It had a it huge does. hole in it without Rafa there for a long while, yes. too. And will will we get back to a point where we have all four of them? Novak, Mari, Rafa, and Federer firing at the same mm. time. I hope so. It seems almost too much to ask for at this point. Yeah. So do you want to talk about some other little boys behaving badly? <laughs> I mean, they give us so much opportunity. Why do men make living look so hard? <laughs> I was oh at work God. the other day and somebody came up to me. Somebody, I, I keep new people at a distance, at a very safe dis- distance at work. Mm-hmm. Which is why people think that I'm nicer. Which is the total opposite in real life. Oh, like my Like in Lord. our non-work life. You're such a liar. I'm not a liar. I'm just more reserved and cautious with newer people. So fine, like we broke through this initial barrier and, you know, chatted a little bit. And so now, like every time I see this person, I get some update on their life i know that's the problem of being nice to people is then like they talk to you too much it's like this is not what this is about (laughs) (laughs) i don't know you like that you know Mm. and nor do you want to apparently and i'm just like you're making your straight white man life look so difficult right now (laughs) why why is that you're doing it wrong (laughs) this is everything is served up on a nice little platter for you right here like, these problems are very minuscule. Like, I just can't relate mm-hmm. to them. I'm sorry. I'm moving on. <laughs> well, with that, let's talk about Bernard Tomic. Deciding to return match point against Fonini in Madrid mm-hmm. with the reverse end of his racket. Yes, with the handle. The handle. So, you know, it might also be referred to as tanking. Mm. I mean, that's so out of character for him. Uh- <laughs> It really is. It was so shocking. I mean, if this were something that happened repeatedly, I could see people making a big deal out of Oh, wait. <laughs> Listen, if you were 23 and worth $10 million, would you really be bothered? I mean, I guess I'd be having some cocaine-fueled party in Miami somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He must be, like, the Australian version of, like, an Alabama frat bro, right? <laughs> I guess they have those there. I, 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 I'm without words. So anyway, he, after this incident, he was warned by the Australian, uh, apparently there's 
a chef de mission, whatever the hell that means, of who's, the Olympic team. Whose name is Kitty Chiller. <laughs> stop. <laughs> we need to stop and appreciate that name. <laughs> Kitty Chiller. She said she is not going to abide this appalling behavior from Bernard Tomic. And then extended it to Kyrios. Yeah. Saying that she's not sure that he's worthy of the Olympic team. He which, doesn't know what it's like to be an, an Olympian. Which, by comparison, I feel like you need to just put Nick on the team. You know? I don't... I take so many issues with this. Mm. This idea of what it means to be an Olympian in terms of what the Olympics represent. Right. The Olympics represent a whole host of fuckery. <laughs> uh, people being mis- people being displaced. Homeless people being washed away. Um, hundreds of people dying in the preparation and construction. Of cities historically going into bankruptcy and mm. struggling financially for decades. Like this idea that the olympic spirit well the idea that the olympic spirit has some universal truth to it and that nations somehow put aside their political differences in order to compete in this generous and it's in the fucking olympic charter that the olympics is free from politics Mm -hmm. that's utter just stop garbage because there's no such thing garbage and so Miss Kitty Chiller, chill the fuck out. (laughs) Like, I'm not here for you. And seriously, to hell with you for having me defend Nick Kyrgios. And Bernard Tomic. Really? Like, if you don't want them on on your team, well, I'm sorry, newsflash, Australia ain't going nowhere in the Olympics. Right? Like, nowhere. Who are you going to put on the team? John Millman? He's going to be winning? Thanasi is still around. He's ranked in the nether regions of the mid one hundreds right now. Yeah, but he's he's been injured. To be fair, yeah, he's a very good player. He's good, but even then, he was like top seventy, top yeah. eighty. That yeah, was his yeah. peak before then. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. You have two top twenty five mm-hmm. players who would be your entire would who would be the entirety of your Olympic hopes, right? And so this moralizing, I'm not here for it. Not. In relation to the Olympics. Mm. But while Miss Kitty Litter, Kitty Chiller, was... Kitty Litter. <laughs> uh, was considering whether or not Tomic deserved a place on the team. He was like, you know what? That's cool. I'm not going. I'm going to take just me gonna... <laughs> some parents' money for this new tournament in Mexico. Right. Where hopefully I'll play for more than eight minutes. <laughs> Because not only did he have that incident against Fonini, the following week in Rome, it was in Rome, right? Yeah. It, was just, mm-hmm. it seems like so long ago right now. I know. So much has happened. He retired after three games. Against saying he Benoit. Was, yeah, I guess saying he wasn't feeling well. That it was so hot he couldn't continue. Like the All that he described sounded like a massive hangover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. What What to do with him? And what to do with Gregor Dimitrov? His behavior against Diego Schwartzman was an abomination. It was so embarrassing because he's not someone who's thought of in the same category as those two guys. You know, it was, it was really ugly. And it it seemed like a culmination of a lot. 
like a lot of failed potential and a lot of frustration. (laughs) No, really. No, I know. Like a lot of frustration just building up into one moment. He's in the mid thirties right now in the rankings. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's still young in tennis terms, but he's achieved a lot less than I'm sure he thought he was going to. And that everybody expected him to. Right. And so he broke three rackets during the final. He was in a final. He was frustrated by having broken a few strings Mm. in the course of that final set. Yeah, which sucks. Terrible. Bad fortune. But then he decided he'd had enough. And so after having already had a warning, or would it have been Uh, multiple warnings, two warnings. He knew that the next offense would be... And so he decided to just go and break the racket on the changeover Mm. and then immediately go shake the umpire's hand and then concede essentially the final two... Diego Schwartzman. Yeah. In his first ever ATP Tour win. Mm-hmm. He he got his first ATP title because of it. Right. Because basically, Dimitrov forfeited. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he knew that that smash was going to lose him the match. And to Dimitrov's credit, he immediately apologized afterward. Yeah. I mean, he really beat himself up. Like self-flagellation. <laughs> and deservedly so. It was right. It was awful it was not a good look and so you know i've always liked gregor and i don't you've always lusted after gregor (laughs) no he's still a little skinny for me but but no but i've always liked him i like his game i think it's aesthetically pleasing it doesn't give me pleasure to pile on to him but that was in spite of his association with maria for all that time well you know people make mistakes and (laughs) he's moved on Oh, speaking of Maria, her hearing is on Wednesday, right? In London. And they may come back with a verdict by Wimbledon. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm just going to keep my eyes Mm. closed and my ears closed. No, ears open, mouth shut. No, everything closed. (laughs) Like, I just don't give a fuck right now. (laughs) Like, there's so much going on in tennis. Like, Miss Maria, you can have several seats. Mm. Beside Miss Ch- Chelsea Handler on her new flop Netflix oh talk show. Oh my god. Like that friendship, I Which don't get. Which is not a talk not a talk show. But well, a talk show. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Those are like two peas in a pod. I mean, they they, make, it makes perfect sense. They deserve each other. You know, like one of the most unfunny people on earth. Mm-hmm. And just Beside just one of the most uncharismatic people in the tennis world. It's you a, know, some people are just so nasty and so rude. <laughs> Chelsea Handler is one of them. Ugh. Uh, I can't wait to see Maria's Instagram photos of her practicing on grass. I can't wait. <laughs> um, what? Who else do we want to talk about? Ian Tyriak. Uh huh. I think it's Jan. I think it's, it's Jan. Jan. Wow, that's really ignorant. It's well, <laughs> I could be wrong. I, okay, Mr. Tyriak, or yeah, who's apparently known as a habitual offender when it comes to saying sexist shit. Oh my god! I mean, he's full of shit. In every way. This is the man of the blue clay. He's kind of like, well, I dubbed him the clown prince of European tennis. <laughs> Just had enough of him in general. And of course, he's got something to say about women's tennis. And, you know, he owns, conveniently, a women's tennis tournament. A mixed tournament. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's nope. cute. But we've been here before. Maybe you're not doing a good enough job promoting the WTA right? at your joint event. I mean... I'm a fan of men's tennis, but, like, Madrid happened, and I don't remember any of it. So, like, I wasn't that entertained. 
to be honest. It was what, two, three weeks ago? I couldn't even, I had to ask you who won. (laughs) I mean, maybe that is on me. That is partly on you. But you also built that hideous, horrifying stadium. Disgusting. Horrible. There's the altitude, then there was the blue clay. It's just not... It was transplanted into the middle of Mm -hmm. the European clay court season. Right. In the midst of all these tournaments with all this great history. Mm -hmm. It's... It's just not a good look. Just go away. And of course, his comments come on the back of the whole Indian Wells fiasco. Right. I mean, that's what I was referring to. Like, we've heard this before. Somebody who runs a women's tennis tournament. Like, just stop. One of the things, I think this will be the end of our rant. I could not let this rant end without bringing this up. I kind of stumbled upon it just watching some highlights on YouTube Mm -hmm. of tennis. And... Coco Vandewey was playing Venus in Rome. This also happened this week. It did. (laughs) This legitimately feels like it was two weeks ago. Venus beat Coco pretty easily. And her coach, who was called to court multiple times, Mm -hmm. he comes on and he's telling her, speaking in all these platitudes, just totally inane shit about how to get her game back on, on track. And then he says, quit being a pansy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And why are you being paid to tell somebody this? On TV. Like, you know, there are so many reasons that this on-court coaching thing needs to stop. You know, one of the reasons is that it's it's not what tennis is about. You know, you're out there playing yourself and coaching is illegal. And Uh, if the idea is that you get some kind of insight into what that kind of mm -hmm. dynamic is between coach and player and how a coach can really guide a player back on track in Mm. in moments of need that was not it no and so to hear a male coach use such a derogatory word so casually and flippantly right clearly i'm sure he's used it with her before you know and so what does pansy mean pansy means uh an effeminate man it means faggot right pretty much you cannot tell me like i will not hear the argument that it is not linked with homophobia. I just, I won't because that's ridiculous. And if you can't see the link between levels of masculinity and homophobia, Mm -hmm. then you're just not a thinking person. Like, what do we have to talk about? Exactly. (laughs) I just, I'm just done. I'm done with these words used to describe men and women that take root in masculinity or like questioning someone's masculinity. So like referring to somebody as a beta male for example and you know <laughs> because one of these no lay fam people and was, this wasn't directed at me it had nothing to do with me i wasn't involved but i had to screenshot you know this tweet because it was just so hideous you know so, and she said it was she was being ironic but she's like in the research i've done a lot of the people who have problems with novak's behavior are beta males and she thought that was funny men who you know so what is that what what does that mean then who what? You basically you've like transposed uh the animal kingdom onto human gender, first of all. And this is also like alpha and beta is vocabulary of like of uh men's rights activists. You know, no, it is it really is. No, this is like how they talk. Uh-huh. 
So I'm just not here for that. I'm not going to tolerate that shit. And honestly, if somebody calls me a beta male, I would not be offended. Like I like that kind of stuff projected onto me. I don't take it as an in- insult, even if it's intended to be. Mm-hmm. Well, because it tells you that this person celebrates aggressive behavior and that they think that that sort of behavior defines what a man should be, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just not I'm not here for that. It really pisses me off, though. Like, if somebody wants to call me gentle or sensitive or or considerate or any other adjective that's incongruent with hypermasculinity, mm-hmm. I'm going to be so flattered. Right. Are these things that are associated with femininity? Yeah, and that's at the heart of changing our paternalistic, hypermasculine, worshipping society. Right. That's at the root of so much evil. Yeah. So, like, this whole business of don't play like a pansy, I have no time for that. For me, using a word like pansy is reiterating that you feel that women are inferior and that feminine value, you know, traditionally feminine values are not to be appreciated. No. You know? That it's a sign of weakness. Right. So when you are trying to degree, like, degrade a man by using words like that, you're actually telling the world that you hate women. It's it's very misogynistic. Yeah. And it's also very stupid and <laughs> dumb. It is stupid and dumb. Like you're revealing yourself to be a very dim-witted person mm-hmm. with devoid of critical thinking skills. Like go fucking read a book. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 at this point pretty much my lifelong friend Leslie, hey, it's your first shout out on the podcast. <laughs> Growing up in high school, that was her biggest and most widely used insult and put down. Go read a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ever since you told me that, I use it. And people don't really find it funny, though. <laughs> it was reading before we knew what reading was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her reading glasses are always on. <laughs> it takes energy. Right. As far as Madrid goes, Novak and Simona won. We can move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've been told. <laughs> that's that's what happened. I feel like there's no point in rehashing that. We'll get to what that may mean for Simona going forward when it comes to the French Open preview. Mm. But you want to go hear more about that? Listen to other podcasts. Yeah. Respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great things that happened in Rome this week was that there was this wonderful celebration for the career of Miss Flavia Panetta. Yes, Miss Grande Flavia. <laughs> Uh, she, you know, she was officially feted, officially celebrated by her home tournament. Her peers, her besties, Francesca Schiavone, who from what I gather is one of her besties on tour. Mm. She was there. Subsequent to that, they were tweeting all this social media stuff with the two of them driving around Italy somewhere. It's nice because they were the two, you know, trailblazers Mm -hmm. of Italian women's tennis. And Schiavone was kind of the leader for a long time. And, you know, Panetta kind of overtook her. And, you know, there was like this great back and forth between them. But they represented Italy for the longest time. Vinci, Irani, they seem to have a very tight-knit group within the Italian women. I mean, they've won Fed Cup like four times with this generation, Mm -hmm. you know. And Flavia was so emotional the entire time. The tournament did a great job of capturing the ceremony. 
Mm. They released video on Twitter of Flavia waiting in the wings in the tunnel before she went onto the court for the the ceremony. And she was starting to cry before before she even got on court. Yeah. And you look at some of the photos from the event and it's just so moving. They released this video of tennis players congratulating her and saying farewell you know retired players Hisela Dulko is uh, you know like one of her great friends and uh doubles partner partner. they've been really successful together they won a Um, year in championships together they won a grand slam together mm -hmm. Dementieva was on there Uh it was so great to see her speaking fluent Italian I mean I was like she really is speaking really well (laughs) and Nole I hate to say speaks Italian very well too he really does Maybe. Which is, I'm sure, part of the reason that the crowd likes him. He, maybe you should just let go of some of the Nola hate. <laughs> I mean, it, hey, it I just said that I know, but it shouldn't Italian permeate well. all aspects of your life. Oh. You know? <laughs> like, you can enjoy, you can appreciate Novak speaking Italian well no. without feeling guilty or bad about it. No. No? Mm-mm. Like, were you disgusted when you ingested Maria Sharapova's candy last summer? Yeah, because it was <laughs> actually, like, not very good. It was just candy. There was nothing bad or repulsive about exactly. the candy. Exactly. I could buy that shit in bulk for like 50 cents a pound at the store, you know? But it was in a package and it cost like seven ninety nine. At least. At Yeah, at the very least. Arrivederci, Flavia. <laughs> well, how was that? Was that okay? Yeah, yeah. You just have to roll your R's more. Arrivederci, Flavia. Yes, but <laughs> less, less like a Mario brother. <laughs> Arrivederci, Flavia. Yes, much better. Much better? Okay. Something I'm really excited about, Venus Williams, she won a match in Rome and then proceeded to lose a three-set marathon Mm. to Timea Babos, which on the face of it isn't a shocking loss. Babos has been playing really well, but Venus, God, had her chances Mm. in that match. It was so (laughs) disappointing. (laughs) But somehow, with Kvitova dropping multiple spots in back-to-back weeks Mm. and Sharapova falling out of the top 10, well, plummeting out of the top 10 (laughs) this week. (laughs) Venus rises three spots come Monday to number 11 and is only 77 points behind Flavia Panetta at number 10. Flavia Panetta, who we we just officially retired, (laughs) has somehow gotten better in the rankings in the last week it's crazy and so venus has so few points defending through wimbledon that it's entirely possible and likely given the unstable state of the top 10 mm-hmm. that she'll return to the top 10 again yeah a few I, months I ago a few months ago i was convinced that it would never happen again oh come on no because like Heading into the clay season, Venus ain't going to win that many matches. Right. And then she has so many points to defend post-Wimbledon. A quarterfinal yeah, at Wimbledon. Fourth round at the U.S. Open. Isn't it fourth mm-hmm. round at the U.S. I Open? I think so. I think so. She yeah. played Serena, right? And then she had all those points in the fall. So we'll see. Word broke this week that Lena is pregnant with her second child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not wasting any nope. time now. <laughs> I wonder if she'll be allowed more than the Stop. legal limit Stop. in China. <laughs> <laughs> That's offensive. It's a law, isn't it? I don't I don't think it is anymore. Oh, they relaxed it? Yeah, I think I so. I feel like she should get an exception. She's earned. That's not how communism works, okay? <laughs> Everybody is equal. 
<laughs> in theory. <laughs> and we'll end this episode with a massive shout out to Luca Pui, mm-hmm. who jumps 20 something spots in the rankings because he went from being a lucky loser right through to the semifinals in Rome. Right. It doesn't happen often, but it was quite the performance this week. And because of it, he's now going to have a seed at Roland Garros. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, whoever was at number 33 has got to be pissed. <laughs> so look out for our next episode where we're going to be breaking down the run-up to the French Open a little more in depth. Probably be talking about the draws. We will not be giving you our expected winners because no. we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. That should come your way sometime later this week, hopefully by Saturday, and then we'll be into the second major of the year. As always, thanks for listening. You can follow The Body Serve on Twitter, at The Body Serve. Please, we haven't gotten a review on iTunes for a while. Which Don't... is partly their problem, because... Partly. It seems to be fixed. Okay. And I don't want to sound too thirsty <laughs> for some... But... For some feedback and some love, but... We'll take what we can get, but please let it be positive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jonathan, and you can find me on Twitter at SportsscribeCA. And I'm James, and I'm at ElliotJMR. Two L's, two T's. Till next time.